The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. It's good to be here. <clears throat> this Tuesday morning group is growing. It's lovely. So is all of IMC with all those <laughs> announcements. My goodness. Nobody should be bored. <laughs> There's plenty to do. So, as you may have seen from the flyers, I'll be here today in the next two weeks, and we'll be taking a look at the paramis, or paramitas. These are the perfections, the ten perfections, those qualities that we perfect on our way to Buddhahood. Um, Some of them will be quite familiar to you and maybe others not so much. But we'll be taking a look at what they mean, how we can use them in our daily lives, and maybe um, look at some suggestions for practices with them. Is anybody here familiar with the Paramitas? No? Oh, wow. Good. I have a captive audience. (laughs) Well, in Zen there are only six. But in Theravada practice we have ten. And let me see if I can say them. We're going to start with the first three today. That's generosity, morality, and renunciation. And don't don't freak out with renunciation. (laughs) We'll look at it broadly. Um, Then next week we will do wisdom, energy, and patience. And then the last week we'll do four. We'll do um, truthfulness, determination, uh, loving kindness, and equanimity. So you know, in Buddhism we have many lists. This is a way of remembering things. But also, as you've just heard, many of the lists um, include pieces from many other lists. So like the last two, metta and equanimity, are from the four Brahma-viharas. Generosity and morality are foundational practices um, that are really... uh, Uh, important for all of Buddhist practice. And so, as I said, some of these will be more familiar to you than others. It's said that they're listed in this particular order because each one builds on the one before and prepares us for the following one. However, as you also know, nothing is totally linear. So, of course, they inter-are, as Dignat Han would say. They're very intermingled, intertwined. Um, and you may be practicing with one at the beginning and one more towards the end. Um, you may, you know, skip around. But in general, uh, they're listed this way as a way of seeing how each one um, uh, prepares us for the next one. 
So the first is generosity. And probably you've all heard, if you've been coming here any time at all, you've probably heard a lot about generosity. Because generosity, or Donna is the Pali word, um, is central to our practice. And in fact, in Southeast Asia, before people learn to meditate, they are given the practice of generosity. And they may practice it for a short time or a long time, whatever the teacher determines, before they are then given the practice of morality. And they practice that for whatever uh, period the teacher feels is appropriate. And then they are taught to meditate. So it's a different way of uh, a different order uh, of practice. When Jack and Joseph and Sharon brought this practice to the West, they knew, <laughs> they knew Americans, and they knew it wasn't going to work that way. So they brought, or they started with the meditation, which is what brings many, if not most of us, to practice. And then fill in with generosity and morality. But I think it's valuable to know that those are such foundational practices um, that they really underpin our meditation practice. Because, especially with morality, it's pretty difficult to sit and meditate if you're not leading an ethical, a virtuous life. As soon as you sit down to meditate, all the stuff that you've been doing (laughs) that isn't in alignment with uh, your values is going to surface, and you're going to have a very hard time meditating. So that's the main reason that morality is taught, so that we can sit, we can meditate, and not uh, get agitated so much. So generosity um, really is a huge topic. I was just thinking that um, a senior student that is no longer with us but used to give Dharma talks said, I have one talk, and it was generosity. And so whenever he was asked to talk, he talked about generosity. It was that important and that valuable to him. When we think about generosity or dana, so often we think of money <laughs> because in supporting teachers and this building and all the programs, uh, IRC now, <clears throat> it's so often about financial support. And so dana sometimes gets equated with money. But I would like for us to really expand today our thinking of generosity and maybe almost put money or finances in the background. Of course we need money to operate, but that gets a lot of attention. Let's focus on so many other ways that we can be generous. And the first thing I want to mention is generosity being generous with our attention. You know, one time I heard Jack Cornfield say, what the homeless 
really want is to be noticed. They feel invisible sometimes because people walk by and probably mostly out of a feeling of discomfort don't say anything, don't acknowledge them and they feel invisible. So what they would really like is acknowledgement, (laughs) whether we give them anything or not, anything tangible, just our acknowledgement. And that really struck me. So I have made that a practice that um, I don't usually give out money, but I try to always look someone in the eye and say hello or smile at them if they're standing on the freeway, you know, at least smile as I go by. I'm not sure that's always what they want. But... I feel better, and at least they know they are being seen. So what kids want, isn't it? Mommy, mommy, mommy. You know, look at this. I remember when my daughter was young, and we'd go to the swimming pool, and I would want to be reading while she was playing in the pool. I couldn't read, (laughs) because it was constantly, Mommy, mommy, watch this. Mommy, watch that. She just wanted my attention. She didn't want my nose in a book. So for all of us, homeless or otherwise, what we really want is to be acknowledged, to be seen. And that's something that we can all offer to each other. I love to tell the story. Many years ago, I was at Mount Madonna with um, Reb Anderson, who was, I believe at that time, he was abbot at San Francisco Zen Center. And I had a question for him. I think it was Sunday and the workshop was over. And he was walking ahead of me. And I called to him. I said, Reb. And he turned around, stopped, looked me straight in the eyes and said, Yes, Birgit. And that must have been, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago? Long time ago. I've never forgotten that. It was so dramatic, you know? He just stopped whatever he was headed for, addressed me by name, and allowed me to ask the question. Of course, I don't remember the question now. That doesn't matter. What I remember is his attention. And that is so meaningful for all of us. So we can at least give that to each other our attention. If somebody is talking to us, we can at least look them in the eye and listen to what they have to say. And that can be a very generous act, particularly if we're in a hurry or we have somebody else we want to talk to or we don't really, we aren't really interested in what is being said. Um, It can be very generous to allow ourselves to give someone that attention. We can give of our time. There are many, many ways, many opportunities to give of our time. We can give what someone wants rather than what we think they want. (laughs) How many times have we given somebody what we think would be good for them? Or we think they should want. 
And it may or may not be what they want. Sometimes it probably is, but other times it may not be at all. They may really want something else. So, number one, knowing what somebody really wants, and then number two, being willing to give them what they want, whether it's what we think they should want or not. Allowing somebody else to make the decision about which movie we go to, which restaurant we go to, which event, whatever we do. Not from a weak position, but from a position of generosity. I don't really care, or I really want to see this movie, but I know you really want to see that. You know what? I'll go with you to see that. And as long as it's conscious, um, that's a very generous act. So another piece of generosity that's very important is gratitude. Having gratitude for what is given. And at the same time, graciously accepting what is given. So for us, if, if it's being given to us, then even if it's not what we want, not what we would prefer, if someone is honestly, generously giving us something, then we can graciously accept it. It's like if you're vegetarian. Uh, the Buddha was basically vegetarian. But he also lived off the generosity of other people. So if somebody invited him to their house and they served meat, then he ate it. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I can't eat meat. He said, thank you, and ate it. And so it's that spirit, the idea that um, it's a way of letting go, really. It's a way of not holding on to our preferences but being willing to let go of them. Somebody once said um, that she used to give her old, dilapidated stuff to Goodwill or Salvation Army. And she said, now I give my best. That was very nice. I give my best. Not just what's used, but, you know, something that someone else might really like, could really use. That's a very different way of looking at it, isn't it? So one thing for us to be aware of as we practice generosity is, well, maybe two things. One are considerations. So probably you've all had the experience, as I have, of having the impulse to give. Whether it's a person on the street or an organization or whatever. And then immediately come up all these considerations. Oh, but. (laughs) I can't really afford that. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, Do I really want to give there or shall I give there? All these things come up. And we can very quickly, very easily talk ourselves out of the generous act. 
whatever it was. So Jack Cornfield suggests the practice of giving on that first impulse. You can practice it, you know, for a certain length of time, or you can practice it over time. Or, more importantly, you can just be very mindful. So you notice the impulse to give, and then notice all the considerations. And then notice, if you act on it, how does that feel? If you don't act on it, how does that feel? No judgment. You know, there's no right or wrong. Just notice. So that mindfulness pervades. Mindfulness pervades all of our activity. But we can learn from our practice. We can learn from a practice of generosity. We can also learn if we don't practice generosity. We can see what are we holding on to. What is the resistance? What keeps us? We can also look at our expectations. I know I've been caught with that. Thinking, I have no expectation at all. I'm doing this because I want to. And then when the person receives it, but doesn't even say thank you, (laughs) doesn't in any way acknowledge what I've done, then I can get my feathers ruffled a little bit. Oh, there was a very subtle, I wasn't aware of it, but a very subtle expectation of gratitude. So it wasn't as totally free and open generosity as I thought it was. Surprise. So now I watch for that. So being aware, perhaps, of any hidden agenda or any hidden expectations that might come with our giving. And again, it's not wrong. It's just very valuable to see. Oh, there was an expectation that I would be well thought of, that I would be loved, whatever it might be. And just the awareness of that expectation will help diffuse it. So let me pause for a few minutes and see if you have comments or thoughts about generosity. Good morning, everybody. Um, You were talking about being aware of expecting some recognition, basically, when you are generous, when you do something for somebody. Um, You really brought up a good point because I I think you're really talking about we want to be recognized. (laughs) You were talking about the homeless. That's what they want is to be recognized. So it's kind of embedded in me anyway um, there's a there's a practice of, of doing things for someone without being caught at it <laughs> in other words giving of your heart without being recognized for it uh, it's something I've been practicing for a while 
I still subconsciously want that recognition. <laughs> but uh, um, I, it's just merely a comment. It's not that I had a question. It's just that you really brought up something in, in me and perhaps some of the others. Uh, I'm enjoying you this morning. Thank you. <laughs> good, good. And again, so important to remind ourselves we're not wrong. If we have an expectation, it's pretty natural. But we want to see it. We want to be aware of it. Yeah. Anything else? Anybody else? I think I have the opposite, where I think I would like to, I like to be able to help people, but I feel embarrassed by mm-hmm. them thanking me. And I, I really just feel very uncomfortable with that because usually I find that when I give of myself I get so much back without having to receive mm-hmm. any kind of thanks anyway and then that on top of it it's almost like too much <laughs> Do you, can you make a comment about that? well that can also be a practice learning to receive graciously receive in this case their thank you so that it's, in a way, a practice of equanimity. That if we, get, if we don't get a thank you, no big deal. If we get a thank you, no big deal. <laughs> you know? Letting it, letting it be okay. Um, you could just look at it for yourself. Just watch it and see, hmm, what is uncomfortable about it. Um, It is absolutely true, and I'm very glad you said it, that when we're generous, we probably get more (laughs) than however we've been generous, to whomever we've been generous. Yes. It is such a heart-opening practice. It is such a wonderful practice that um, it's true. We don't really need anything in return. Um, That's a very, very good thing to remember. But there are times I've been uncomfortable with thank you. Sometimes it feels like it's um, out of proportion (laughs) to what was done. Um, You know, recently I took care of somebody's cats while she was gone for a week. And um, this is the third year I've done it. And she always tries to pay me. And I tell her, no, you know, make a donation to an animal group. And this year she gave me a card, a uh, gift card to Trader Joe's. Well, I had so much fun spending that money at Trader Joe's, you know. It's like, I have this card. I can buy anything I want. So after I had used it up, I emailed her and I said, you know, I just finished using the card and I want you to know that has been such a fun experience. And I said, totally unnecessary, but surely fun. And she wrote back and said, it was necessary for me to give you that card. Ah, thank you. (laughs) You know? It was important for her to be able to do that. Not, didn't have so much to do with me. 
Okay, well, we could go on and on. Generosity is a huge practice, but we have two other things to cover. So let's move on to morality. Or sila is the Pali word, and you'll hear that. Virtue. Um, Basically, morality or virtue refers to following the precepts. However, there is an underpinning Uh, understanding of non-harming. So generosity and non-harming are really foundational practices for us. So that everything we do or say or think, um, we should do with the question to ourselves, will this lead to harm? or suffering, we say, or will it not? Is it skillful or is it unskillful? So that's just a general question we hold. But specifically, we have the five precepts. The precept, um, and they're often called the training precepts, because in this practice, they're held differently from other traditions where they might be called commandments and where there's a sense of sin or wrongdoing if you break them. In this practice, we come from a different perspective. Number one, it's accepted that we will break them. We're human beings. (laughs) And that will happen. That's a given. So... In Buddhist practice, there's no concept of sin. Nobody is a sinner. There are mistakes, and there's learning from those mistakes. There's taking responsibility, but there's no concept of sin. We are not bad if we break them. What we need to do is be aware that we've broken a precept, take responsibility for that, and then recommit. That is, Um, set the intention not to break that precept again. And then that's it. Let go. We don't hang on to guilt. We don't hang on to how awful I was because I did that. No, drop it. As long as it's sincere, drop it. Now, this doesn't mean that we take them lightly, that, oh, well, you know, I killed somebody. No biggie. That's not it at all. In fact, the way we hold precepts, I think, makes it more challenging because we are asked to look at every situation and look at the big picture and see what is the most ethical, the most helpful, (laughs) the most virtuous thing to do in this situation and then act from there. And often we don't know, do we? We don't always know what the best thing is. But we have the intention to do what is best. We make our best decision and then we let go because we don't know what the result will be. That's one of the most helpful things in our practice, to let go of results. We just worry about each step because we can't know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. 
So the five precepts are not taking life or, on the positive side, honoring or respecting life, not taking what is not freely offered, i.e. not stealing, and the positive way of saying is the practice of generosity. So those two go together. The third is not abusing sexuality. And the positive is honoring our bodies or honoring our sexuality. The fourth is about speech. And it's um, not using untruthful speech. The positive is a little more, there's a little more to it because it's not just using truthful speech, but also kind, timely, um, not harsh, uh, what else? Truthful, kind, gentle, timely, uh, and paying attention to what, whether the other person is going to be able to hear us or not. If they're not, even if it's very wise and very truthful and kind, don't say it. It's not going to be helpful if somebody is not going to be able to hear it. So that's a big one to practice with. And then the fifth is not intoxicating the mind. And the positive is cultivating a clear mind. And this refers, in the bigger picture, not just to drugs and alcohol, but to anything that takes us away from being fully present. So it can be you know, mindlessly watching TV. It can be violence. It can be pornography. It can be anything that, um, that is clouding the mind or is keeping us from clear seeing, from wisdom. So it can be um, uh, anything that's habitual, that it, it can be, you know, uh, uh, just mindlessly following um, a desire, sensual desire, or whatever. Rather than being fully present and choosing. So like with TV, there's nothing wrong with watching TV. There's some very good things. I've learned a lot about the world <laughs> through some very good nature and, and um, science programs. I choose what I'm going to watch. And then I pay attention to what I'm watching. And I refuse to just leave the TV on and watch whatever is there. This can also, we're going to talk about renunciation next, and this can also be a practice of renunciation. Letting go of just mindlessly watching something, but actually choosing now I will watch this. Now I will watch that. So I think it's very helpful to expand these precepts and see all the different ramifications that practicing them can have. And then you see, I hope you hear already, that it's not black and white. It's not easy. Oh, I don't take life. No, but I step on all those ants, or I kill that spider, or 
whatever. Oh, oh, yes, I am. Or even, for me, it extends to plants. So I live in a townhouse complex where, you know, the basic gardening is all taken care of. And it breaks my heart sometimes when they change landscaping. They come in, recently it was the star jasmine, and they just rip up, you know, these huge plots of star jasmine. I happen to love (laughs) star jasmine. But even if I didn't, just, again, that mindless disrespect for the life of these plants and just pulling them up and then coming in with something else. For me, that's not honoring life. Sometimes things have to be uprooted, you know? Yes, they have to be taken up. Um, Hopefully they can be replanted somewhere else or um, at least uh, given thanks for their beauty and their life, their service to us. Um, So however it is for you, keeping in mind the honoring of life as the way to, to work with, to follow the first precept. When we say honoring life, that really opens it up, doesn't it? That can mean all kinds of things. So how do I best honor life? In this particular instance, what is the best way that I can honor life? And there are times, of course, where honoring life might involve taking it. Don't tell Tan Jeff I said that. (laughs) Tan Jeff is, (laughs) is a purist. And he says, you know, the Buddha said, no taking life, period. (laughs) Well, I think that's great for a start. And, you know, if I see I hesitate to say this because I don't think I could do it, but if I see an animal suffering, you know, that's been hit by a car or something, I think I think the compassionate thing to do might be to make sure it dies rather than let it lay there and suffer, suffer, suffer. But that's honoring life. And from my perspective, not, not taking life or not, um, not breaking the precept. So, again, quickly, any, any comment or? Mm-hmm. I, um, thank you so much there. Thank you. You say so much uh, in my note-taking Doing the best that I can, but uh, it's just, uh, Don't I, worry. I want to get that. I, want, um, I would just like to be sure that I know your name because uh, I couldn't hear it. Because uh-huh. whenever you speak again, I'd like to be here. Uh-huh. <laughs> your name is next Tuesday. <laughs> next Tuesday, okay. <laughs> yeah. My name is Burgett. Burgett. Uh huh. B E R G E T. Okay. Thank you. Um, one thing that you said, if I can find in my jumbled notes here. Uh, uh, 
hope I can find it. Um, when you want to say something and you're not sure that it is going to really be helpful, you said just mm-hmm. don't say it. Or the other person won't be able to hear it. Or the other person yeah. won't be able to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you work on a great sense of intuition when you do that? Uh, because I, I know that is true, but I'm not sure that I can always figure it out. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's just it. <laughs> That's why there are practices. Yeah. Yeah. We yes. don't always know. Yeah. But sometimes it's clear. You mm-hmm. know, you're talking to somebody about something, and um, they don't let you finish a sentence. They just keep coming back with their point of view. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. at some point, just stop and listen. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hear what you say anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so often our tendency is to try to drive our point home. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually more skillful to just stop mm-hmm. and let them talk. And they may hear themselves. Um, but of course it's true that we can't always know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes... Sometimes it's important that we say something, whether they're going to hear it or not. Mm-hmm. I know that came up recently. I can't think exactly what it was, but I remember saying to somebody, um, I think it's, oh, it was somebody setting limits with her adult kids. And she said, oh, why bother? They won't listen anyway. And I said, <laughs> but it can be very important for you to say it, mm-hmm. whether they listen or not. It can be self-respect, you know, mm-hmm. not letting your kids just speak, mm-hmm. uh, you know, harshly or unkindly to you, but standing up for yourself and saying something. So in an instant like that, even if they're not going to hear you, it can be very important to say it. So that's why these precepts are not absolutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a bumper sticker one time <laughs> that said... Um, uh, their commandments, not guidelines. And I thought, we Buddhists need a, a bumper sticker that says they're guidelines, not commandments. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, there's people that say there's, they're not suggestions, they're commandments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've yeah. seen that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, just thank you very much. Uh-huh. Very so then the third, oh, yes. Can you, can you, uh, oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, when you were talking about cultivating a clear mind, um, you mentioned many things, but you didn't mention the things I think of as anger and um, being hit by hormones and, um, <laughs> you know, the... The things that you get so caught up in yes. that that your mind can't clear. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So those are the things we have to watch for. Yeah. And um, and notice how clouded the mind gets when something like anger or any strong emotion comes up. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I do want to say um, a little bit about renunciation. And, <clears throat> and I want to suggest that over this next week that 
that you practice generosity and you practice with one of the precepts. It doesn't matter which one. Pick one. And that doesn't necessarily mean in either case that that you're going to be doing something. But most important, pay attention. So if you take uh, clouding the mind as the precept you're going to work with, then what's most important is notice when the mind gets clouded. What, what you're doing that really clouds the mind, that you can't think clearly or you can't see clearly. And just notice. Remember, this is all about being aware, about noticing, not about right and wrong. And that's not a sloppy morality. You know, it's not that that we don't care. It's a broadening of morality and seeing things as they are. So renunciation. This can be a huge... All of these could be, you know, our talks in themselves. Um, Renunciation is often... Uh, not well thought of, (laughs) often avoided. People often don't want to hear about it. But again, I'd like to expand our thinking about renunciation, uh, maybe to letting go or simplifying, so that it is not a punishment, it is not a denial, It is not a practice of asceticism. It is a way of freeing ourselves. And maybe, if nothing else this week, what you can notice is what is it in your life that is a burden? What burdens you? What weighs you down? And then maybe that's a thing to practice renunciation with. Again, now we often think of possessions or physical things, that we have to let go of physical things. And sometimes, particularly in this culture, we're all pretty overburdened with things, aren't we? This is really an inquisitive, um, acquisitive (laughs) uh, society. And uh, somebody said to me last night, I was talking about renunciation in Morgan Hill, and someone said, I have a garage full of stuff. (laughs) And I thought, most of us have a garage full of stuff. And it's always next Saturday's project, right? We all have way more than we need. So we could practice renunciation. We could practice letting go of a lot of the stuff we have. But maybe even more valuable or more important are the ideas, the beliefs, the views that we hold so tightly to, the identities. I think if you look around the world at all the fighting that is going on, I think without exception, it's about holding on to a view, a belief, an identity, a tradition, something 
some bodies are holding on to and won't let go. And here again is such a valuable part of Buddhist practice that we practice to become free, not to be a Buddhist, (laughs) or not to hold on to even Buddhist ideas. Ultimately, to be free, we let go of it all. All. That's huge. That's really huge. But that's the way to freedom. So we practice to be free, not to hold on to some identity or idea or value or whatever. So somebody last night was puzzled by that and said, but what about morality? You know, there are certain things we should and shouldn't do. Well, ultimately, we let go of all of the shoulds, all of the practices. Now, by that point, we have practiced so long that we're not going to break any precepts. We're not going to do anything that's going to harm. But that idea of not holding on, of letting go, of even our most cherished values, even our most cherished, whatever, rituals or disciplines or whatever, they're all in the service of freedom. Not ends in themselves. And so renouncing can be just letting go, simplifying. Our lives are so complex these days, aren't they? They're so full, they're so busy, and they're so complex. Renunciation might mean letting go of some of the complexity, some of the busyness. My life is quite full, too. And you know, sometimes the most enjoyable time of the day can be sitting outside with my animals, maybe having a cup of tea, maybe reading something, preparing for a talk, or just sitting out there. It is so pleasant. It's so simple and so easy. And because I live in a complex, then people come by. I said not too long ago, I don't have to go anywhere. I just sit here and everybody comes by. I have a dog and so other dogs come to visit, you know. Such a simple thing and so valuable, so important. So all of these qualities are both a result of our practice and we can cultivate them. Many of them, for me, have been a result of practice. Not that I set out to let go of this, that, or the other. But along the way, through practice, I let go of a lot of desires, a lot of things that used to be so important to me. And now, don't hold that same importance. And it is very freeing. Very freeing. Not to have to hold on to something. 
anything. That doesn't mean that we're going to become um, <laughs> awful people or do terrible things. No, not at all. Not at all. But we let go of the rigidity. We let go of um, hopefully anything that's going to keep us separated from each other or from you so that even if I think you know compassion looks like this if compassion to you looks like that I want to be able to relate to you we're both talking about compassion and if I hold on to my view or my identity then I'm going to have a hard time talking with you just like in politics right <laughs> Politicians, sometimes it's painful for me to listen to them. They're just going back and forth at each other and not hearing, not hearing what the other is saying or not honoring it if they do hear it because they're so quick to come back with their answer. So I know that's a lot in a short period of time. Um, take from it what you can I do encourage you to practice uh, any, any of the precepts practice generosity maybe practice renunciation or just notice just notice where you cling where you're holding on notice your resistance to any of it to renunciation to letting go But I don't want to let go of that. And just see what you learn. You know, these are all practices. They're for us to learn from. Not not to become stuck in. So see what you can learn. And then next week, um, maybe I'll take some time at the very beginning to see what you've learned over the week. And then we'll move on to, uh, what did I say, wisdom, energy, and patience. (laughs) That'll be a full hour also. Thank you, and have a good week.